Oh, I knew it would be hard to find a place to fade out in Gail's music. It's just so dynamic. So I recommend you check out her songs on whatever platform you prefer. And welcome to the Musician's Journey podcast, by the way. I felt truly honored to make an episode with today's musician. We have a mutual friend, and when Gail posted an Instagram story that had goats in it, I wrote her for the first time to say that I love goats, and would she be interested in being on my podcast? So here are some Californian vibes for you, and we are listening to the song called All My Life. My name is Gail Skidmore. I am originally from San Diego, where there is no seasons. And I moved to the Netherlands because I married a Dutch man. So now I'm living just outside Amsterdam and just making music. I've been playing shows for I don't know how long now, longer than I'd probably like to say. And I also do <laughs> commercial music. So I'm an A&R director for a sync licensing company. So I'm just kind of involved in all different kinds of music. That's uh, really suitable you mentioned because this word sync has come up and I don't know what it means. Ah, well, if I can't explain it to you, then I should maybe quit my job. Uh. Uh, <laughs> it's just music for TV and film and radio. And you're syncing music with a particular avenue there so what I do is I find artists like for we have a catalog of music we have a website where people can buy a license for a film or a tv show or something they they use a piece of music for a particular amount of time and depending on the piece of music and how long the spot on the show is we pay the artist so it's really fun for um, independent artists we have a lot of independent artists in our company which I love as an independent artist. So they kind of cut out the middleman and the indie artists can just get paid directly instead of having this like pyramid of people above them who are getting paid large chunks of money. And then the actual content creators and artists are getting paid in beans. So yeah. <laughs> um, it makes it so I can really like what I do in um, helping companies find the right music for their project and helping artists get out there. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So artists who want to do this, they contact you or you find them? Both. Um, people submit stuff to us. So we have to, you know, weed through a lot. But yeah, I, I've known a lot of artists who I've had in the back of my mind. And then just by chance kind of started working for a friend of mine who I used to, I used to be a session musician in San Diego for commercial music. And then my friend I worked with started his own company and I was just kind of randomly helping him out, like organizing some stuff. And then I ended up taking over and becoming the A&R director. So now people come to me and I have been able to sign a lot of people that I've known over the years through touring. Uh, what's this uh, called again? Sync Licensing. Oh, the company? The company. Analogpeople.tv. Right. Uh, so last week you gave... An online concert on Stage It, yeah. where I guess you were in your home studio. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And while you sang and played a number of different instruments, there was a busy audience chat going on. And suddenly I felt like I was in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you were performing to what looked like a very loyal fan base. It was really beautiful to take part in. Thank you. And I'm thinking about something you said in another podcast episode, which might have been the Music Business Hacks podcast, when, when you were asked about your relationship to your fans. You make cookies and you make origami. And you said that community is for you something to do rather than just talk about. And being there in front of my laptop with your performance and the audience chat really felt like being invited into a community it's really nice and after this I've felt inspired to open up to that side of myself as well in the way I relate to the people who are interested in the music I perform or the music that my band is making I think it has been brewing in my mind for a little while and uh, it just needed some trigger to make me access it more because I think I've grown up with a non-verbalized idea of me being completely separate from artists that I like and that the connection between artists and audience is purely based on the artist playing for people and they are listening and maybe buying a CD or streaming these days. So what are your influences when it comes to this approach to have to, to your audience? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, first, I would say I'm really excited that you felt inspired by that. And I hope that you pursue that because I think I, I don't know where that idea started for me. But I think probably um, I mean, I've just known so many great artists over the years who, who I've opened for or, or met along the way and just have picked up little things that I thought were really nice. Um, I used to go to these private shows in San Diego for um, Jason Mraz and a couple other artists. And they would do these like small little shows that like a little group of people knew about. And they really had a lot of fun interaction with their fans. And I saw how much it meant to people to be a part of this group. Like it felt like we were this little group who like knew about the secret shows and we knew all the funny jokes <laughs> that they tell on stage. And mm. I just thought that was really nice. Um, so I play a totally different style from Jason and my songs are very personal. They're about my journey. They're about my feelings about life and my experiences and they're how I process. And what I found in my shows over the years is that certain songs would really strike someone and they would come and tell me about that. And I found that really humbling. Like I'd, I've had people come up to me in tears and feeling like really moved by a piece of music. And so there is that element of like, I'm just playing for them, but you're also like people connect to music because it's a, this indescribable thing. It's, it's what's inside you. It's your spirit or it's your, your life experiences, your memories. It can trigger so many things for someone. And so it's deeper than just a song. It's, it's your life. It's making sense of what's happened to you and feeling like you're not alone in a certain experience and, I don't know. I mean, it just can do so many things and I, I'm sure it sounds corny, you know, but like music gives people hope. It gives them like a will to move on. I mean, it helps you get through certain times. I know like for me listening to like a good sad album can really help me 
get through a difficult time. I don't like to listen to happy music if I'm in a bad mood. I like to listen to something sad so I can feel understood. And so I just wanted to, as much as I can, offer that to other people and understand that doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with their own life and their own journey. And so I try as much as I can to step out of the way and just play the music and let that speak. Mm. Yeah. Do you also feel like there is something in... Uh, I know it's a little risky to say something like American culture because that's that's so many things. But I have a feeling that in the U.S. there is more of an environment for doing your own thing than yes <laughs> than than here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, oh my goodness, I feel like Americans get a really bad reputation over here in Europe. <laughs> But there are just so many different versions of America, you know. One thing that I have really loved touring in the United States is that I can do whatever I want as an independent artist. And I've been able to have like a fair amount of success. And there's always higher levels to be reached, you know. You're always like pressing forward to to get further, to better yourself and to work with that next great artist that in America, I don't feel that I was ever looked down on for being independent. And when I moved to the Netherlands, I was directly told, like, well, who are you? Like, well, you haven't done anything. And I feel like, oh, that's not really how I view it. No. <laughs> um, but there's even venues who won't work with you unless you work with one of the, like, two major booking agencies. And... Um, right. For now, I'm a little too, I've been told I'm too alternative for the scene. <laughs> They like stuff that's very normal and that's fine. So <laughs> here I'm doing shows here and they've been great, but I am definitely still doing a lot more in America, which yeah. is interesting after living here for five years. Mm. I wish I could follow up on that, but my knowledge about this uh, industry is so limited. <clears throat> Um, when it comes to navigating the market of tools for musicians, such as the various platforms for live stream concerts and website providers and funding platforms and labels, and basically those who offer services that we have to pay someone to do for us, how do you choose? That is tough. Oh my goodness. Um, got to do a lot of research for these things. For, I'll take Stage It for one example. Um, that company reached out to me like maybe 10 or more years ago and invited me to Los Angeles to their head office to do a Stage It concert. And so that's how I got started with them. I met all the people who worked there and I was like, oh, they're cool. I think I'll work with them. And then mm -hmm. I had another couple of people set up Stage It concerts for me. Like they, there was a a company catching sound media and they would come down from, I can't remember where they live, but they would come down and set up a show with me and a couple other artists and they'd set up all the lighting and everything. And so that became just a really good platform for me. And I know there's other online platforms, but because I had a personal connection, I've stuck with that one. And I find that people will find you on that platform. I don't know about the other ones, but on stage it, there's people who just, get on there to go to shows because they love music and they go to as many shows as they can. 
Sorry, I have cats running around in the background. (laughs) (laughs) So I really like that. It's, you know, there's so many things for musicians where they tell you, oh, you'll get exposure. You know, there's a ton of memes about how, you know, exposure doesn't pay the bills and all that stuff now. But um, with Stage It, I find that people do get on there who haven't seen me before and they just come to the show and they check it out. And it actually has gotten me new fans. And I love that. So for other platforms and stuff, um, yeah, it does feel overwhelming. I agree with you. It's, it's like, it's hard to know what to do, but I kind of just ask people who are doing what I want to do and seem to be doing it well. And if they're too busy, I just, you know, check them out online and see what they've got going on and see what they're doing. Yeah. When I wanted to do something like, uh, like to use something like Patreon, uh-huh. I just made a, an internet search of like Patreon versus, and then I clicked enter because <laughs> I was just curious to see uh, if there were any options. Mm-hmm. And then uh, coffee came up and then I tried to search for coffee criticism or uh, don't use coffee, st- stuff like that. Yeah. And I couldn't really find any results there. So then I thought, okay, I'll try coffee then. And uh, it, it's just so strange how how I come to use the platforms I use or not use. There are just so, so many options for all of these things. Uh, and also making a website. That was, mm-hmm. yeah, like you say, I asked a friend who, uh, who my, my gut feeling kind of, trusts when it comes to these things or I trust that she has done the research for me I think that's what it says Mm -hmm. and then when she said yeah I use this website provider then okay fine I will do that and not have to spend more time making that kind of decision but I hadn't uh, heard of stage it before your gig I think it uh, it seemed like a really good one because I was thinking if you had done a Facebook live stream I would probably not pay to watch that and then on on stage it it just seemed like uh, the natural thing to pay for it yeah I know it was an interesting experience do you think you'll try to do your own stage it show I don't know about that Uh, (laughs) we'll we'll see I I, uh, I'm still figuring out what, what roles I have I think as a cellist and uh, one of my problems is that I'm so content on a daily basis I can just sit and play for myself and and only recently this spring did I start to once a month make a a concert program and invite some friends over for a home concert that's so nice (laughs) that's really nice yes exactly and that looks a little more like um, what you say about community because then we we can offer some food and we get together and then we can talk and then I can play and it becomes something different than if I'm uh, having a concert in a church and then I'm in the back somewhere and then I come out and I play and then I take the applause and then I go back back out (laughs) (laughs) yeah And how is coffee for you? 
Uh, it's it's a nice place to be. I have to say, uh, it it's a really low threshold for everything. Really chilled. Nice. So that suited me well as someone who doesn't have much experience. So uh, I use it for only my podcast. And since it's still a fairly new one, yeah, it feels nice to have a relaxed platform for it. So yeah. they're kind of just, you know, do what you want and uh, use the platform in the way you want. And if I don't release any or post anything new, that's totally fine as well. So that, that suits me well. That's nice. But it also feels like no one uh, knows about it. So... <laughs> That's tough, right? I never know what people are really using. I'm just no, gonna just no. trial and error. Yeah, yeah. How is Patreon working for you? Um, it's been really great for me. Right now it's been pretty static. I haven't been promoting it as much this year, but I did a song a week every week for two years on Patreon. Wow. So <laughs> that was a huge undertaking. And when I started, I was like, I'm probably gonna flake out. <laughs> But I made it like I actually did it. And it was such a good feeling. Um, I developed a little community on there. You know, I love community. Um, but that actually was really nice. I'd get so much interaction with people on there. I didn't expect to get as many messages as I got. And people like making personal remarks on the not mean ones, like just comments like, oh, yeah, this really this happened to me or this spoke to me and just connecting with me there was so nice. And this year I'm doing videos for, I feel like I just never had like great live videos. Um, as soon as the camera goes on, I'm like, start blinking a lot, you know, (laughs) like I'm uncomfortable. So it's been my goal to do more live performances this year. And so I've been focusing more on making the videos and not promoting the Patreon so much, but I've still got a solid group of people on there and mm. I still get messages and comments after three years of doing this or two and a half ish. So that's been yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I love it. And it's an income stream as well. Yeah. I mean, it's small for me right now. Let's be real. But I mean, if you think about it in comparison to let's say ads on YouTube, like I'm not like a huge YouTube star, you know? So, um, a couple of years ago, they changed the cutoff for making money from ads. And so I had been slowly building this like ad revenue stream on YouTube and like, it's very small. And then they decided that you needed to have a minimum amount of subscribers to get paid. And so like all these little indie artists who like feel like they're building towards something, get like cut off. And then that money is just like in the cloud somewhere until I can get to the threshold someday when I have enough subscribers (laughs) and then I start making money again. So compared to that, like Patreon is rad. Like I'm making a ton of money, you know, getting paid to do what I love and with streaming and you know, like people are just using Spotify. So there you're not getting like a ton of money unless you're a huge artist Mm. Um, or you're that band who had their fans turn on their music at at night. They made an empty album and called it sleepify. And then they had all their fans stream it every night. And then they made 40 grand and Spotify was like, what now? (laughs) Did you hear about that? No, one more time. That went very quickly. Oh, (laughs) 
So there's a band, something to do with a wolf. I think I can't remember the name right now. I will Uh look it up for you later. Um, They created, in order to make money from Spotify, they made an empty album. So like a blank, like album of silence. And they called it Sleepify. (laughs) And they had all their fans stream it every night when they went to sleep all night. And so then they made $40,000 and Spotify took notice and was like, um, that's not cool. (laughs) So they changed their rules, but they did get away with it, I think. Wow. Right. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I love that. With Patreon, you know, people are there because they want to be there because they like what you're doing. You know, they're subscribing to something that's a big commitment to buy something from you like once a month, which is what I'm doing, you know, once or twice a month. So the people who are there are excited and that is really great. And it's very different. So even though it's a small amount right now, it's helped me to upgrade some of my gear in my studio and to keep putting out more music. So that's been really great. And I learned a lot because I've always been intimidated by engineering and felt like my time would be better spent just focusing on playing music and not doing something I'm bad at, but I've gotten, I've improved. So that's super great. Um, I'm learning Reaper and I'm learning how to, like this week I'm working on editing brass instruments on MIDI. Oh, wow. I'm trying to make them sound sound real, which is a challenge. (laughs) So brass instruments, you don't actually play. I played the trumpet like years ago, very badly. So, yeah. Because you play uh, quite a lot of instruments. Uh, With all of those, how do you maintain the relationships? You can't play all of them every day. I guess uh, it's piano on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And then you have to, do you have to make a schedule? To like so Monday is the is the banjo day and Tuesday is the ukulele day or is it project based impulsive? Um, you're you're giving me such good ideas right now. Um, no, I, I am not that disciplined with doing it. I I do try to be better. Um, I think yeah, partly project based and partly like whatever mood I'm in, you know. Like, I feel like playing the banjo lately right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. It's a lot of work. And I, I feel like this year with being at home most of the time, it's really helped me to think about, you know, how much time I want to dedicate to that. Because now I don't have excuses. I'm here. I'm home. I'm sitting around with my instruments. Like, what am I going to do? Like, how much do I want to practice? So I have been really focusing on them a lot more. And I got a new like digital piano that's Mm -hmm. nice to play so I've been playing piano a lot more this past year do you have an acoustic as well um in America in a storage unit right so yeah I'm in an apartment so I don't feel that my neighbors would love it if I had an acoustic piano in here I do miss it a lot but this one I can play with headphones and it has a nice feel to it. So it, it does feel like a piano. And I like Kawhi's a lot. That's great. Do you play anything besides cello? Well, a little bit of piano, actually. That would be the only other instrument. But uh, in my flat, we don't have a piano. 
or even an electric one. So I haven't touched the piano in a while. Uh, but that was my very first instrument because both my parents um, play it. They're organists. Oh, wow. That's yeah. So it was a lot of uh, Bach and a lot of piano and a lot of organ uh, growing up. And I really liked to learn tunes on the piano uh, when I was little. But I didn't want to actually learn it properly. It didn't really work for me to take piano lessons. I didn't want to do what others told me to do. I wanted to uh, very, very, very slowly learn, for example, some Moonlight Sonata. And I didn't care that that was maybe several steps ahead. And maybe I should do some basic work before that. Mm-hmm. I was very stubborn. So uh, it, this kind of stayed with me. I never really learned basic, I can't really sight read, but I can learn something and memorize it. And then I will just play the things I memorized for a long time. And uh, so the cello was the, yeah, it's just been the only instrument that I played. But we have many in the flat, so if I feel curious, I can try. Um, my boyfriend now has gotten into modular synths, so sometimes when I hear he's starting a session, I will go over and look over his shoulder and see if I can find a curiosity there to learn how it's working. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far it's... It's not really there. I think it's cool that he's making these sounds, but uh, and it's fun to watch, you know, wiring things, putting things together, and lights blinking, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe uh, maybe later in life I will feel like playing some more instruments. Do you also sing every day? Maybe. Yeah, pretty much every day. I'm working on a lot right now. I'm working on a couple of albums. I'm trying to finish a new album before I go on tour, which may or may not happen. (laughs) May become an EP or just a single. We'll see how it goes. I'm almost done with the first song, but I, I, um, yeah, so I'm spending a lot of time doing vocals for that. And then I've been doing some commercial stuff. I had a job to do a um, like a electro swing song, kind of like Carol Emerald. That was a, a pitch for a client, and um, we didn't win the pitch, but we really liked the song we wrote, so we decided we're going to release it. So I've been working on that. It's my first like electro swing song, and I've been really interested in that music for a really long time. So very excited to put that out there. We can get that done before I leave as well. Yeah. So pretty much, pretty much every day. Yes. I guess there are many things to do every day. Uh, how do you start your day? <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Like I just like, I feel like most musicians are this way where like you get really excited about doing music stuff really late at night. So that's always a battle for me. Um, I usually just kind of read and, hang out in the morning with tea and then I start working for my job in America and then do that for a few hours and then I start working on my own stuff. Mm-hmm. 
a little bit later. Do you make a plan? Do you write something down in a book? No. No. I'm, I'm not good at that. I had, at one point in my life, I had like a little calendar and I was so good every day for maybe three weeks. I would write down everything I needed to do. And then like three weeks after that, I realized I hadn't seen the little calendar in three weeks and I had no idea when I had lost it and I never saw it again. <laughs> okay. And that's kind of been how it goes. Like when I try to do stuff, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I'll put it in my phone, but I tend to like get annoyed at notifications. So I'll turn them off and then I'll, for, I'll just forget. So I, yeah, I'll let my husband like keep track of <laughs> important stuff. I'm a little bit flighty. But it seems to work for you anyway. Yeah, you got to just do what you're good at, you know, play to your strengths. And definitely I've tried to improve that over the years. But I, I just feel like I'm at a point where I've accepted that I'm not very good at keeping track of stuff. I'm good at keeping track of shows. Yeah. And um, that's, that's it. <laughs> I'm not afraid of the storm. crash as they may in your heart I'm safe and warm building our ship to sail away This is no ordinary life This is no ordinary love All of our stories intertwine To make us wild and strong sometimes uh, talk to people in this podcast about how they structure their days and plan their days and whenever I say something about how I'm planning my days these days I realize when I listen back to the interview that oh that phase is already over I'm already over in something new now so it's pretty humbling to listen back to my own conversations with people but right now these days I, I'm still using uh, pen and paper. I feel I have control over that and more of an overview in a way. Yeah. I just, I like that. And uh, I have one week then on uh, two pages. And I will, on every week, I'll make a list of things that I would like to do. And then I will, yeah, cross them out whenever I do them. But it's nice to come back to this list if I'm... yeah. Uh, I can almost get a blackout feeling that oh, I have this time, I have this energy, and oh, what did I have to do again? Then I can consult my list. That's a good way to do it. I think I write stuff down in random places here and there if I have uh -huh. to remember something. But I don't have like 
a real spot for it. So um, I should do that, but <laughs> I admire you. <laughs> oh, but if you manage without it, maybe uh, it's working out anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it would be less stressful if yeah. I were more organized. But yeah, I had someone on who said they used Trello. Oh, um, well, I do do that for I did that for my job for a long time. Trello was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And someone else was using an app called OmniFocus. Uh -huh. And she said that was a lifesaver for her. I will look that up. I've used a few, but I tend to just like use them for a little while and then stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like dating. Yeah. You have to just try. Yeah, I guess you, so. Until you find the right one. <laughs> totally. Uh, so getting back to income streams, are there things that you do that doesn't add to your income, but that you do anyway because it has intrinsic value to you or that could pay off later? Um, like hobbies and things. <laughs> I mean, there's tons of stuff that I get into, but I don't know. There's something that would pay off later. I spend a lot of time doing crafts and I love to paint things. Um, not just paintings, like I'll, I've been known to like paint my furniture in the middle of the night and decide that it just needs to be a different color. <laughs> um, I like to be doing something artistic as much as possible. Mm. I like to knit, I like to crochet, um, do all those things. I don't, I, I did have an Etsy for a while, so I, I did make jewelry on there for a little bit, but then it was just taking too much time. So I don't know. I don't know if I have anything that's really like a side project that could be a job later, but I have lots of stuff that I enjoy. You make color books, coloring books. Yes. Yes. I started doing that. Um, there is a huge debate like years back about CDs and they were saying that CDs were just going to totally disappear. And on tour, that was a lot of my income selling something tangible. And so I thought, well, I would love to have a way to make this something interesting to make it different. And so I made a coloring book for my first full length album. But I also really have always enjoyed listening to a whole album straight through. Like, I guess that's the old school way to do it now. But I know that some people are still into that but I would get a new album and put it on repeat and then paint or draw and it was just a really positive and healing experience for me and I know now this was like way before this was 2009 I think my album came out and that was before the big coloring book craze so when I had these coloring books people were like are these for children and I was like it's for your inner child <laughs> and then if someone said they didn't like to color, then I knew their inner child was dead. Um, oh. But most people were excited about it. And now you see them in like all the grocery stores, like there's coloring books all over the place. Mm. And I started that. No matter what anyone <laughs> says, I started it. But it's actually really good for your brain. And so that great feeling I had, I thought, well, you know, I enjoy this. Maybe somebody else would have a nice experience too. And it turns out there's a lot of research behind that, which is great. And I ended up winning a grant because of that for my third coloring book for the golden west mm. a couple of years ago 
Can these books be purchased then from your website or something? They are on Bandcamp, good old oh. Bandcamp. So, yeah. Oh, there are so many different uh, platforms uh, to keep track on. <laughs> yes. But I guess you're used to this. You've been doing this for such a long time. Yes. Uh, Bandcamp has been around for a long time, and that's one that I really love using. And so it's not hard to keep track of the things that you're excited about. Bandcamp is another one of those that I feel like is really for the artist. And I think they showed that this past year with their Bandcamp Fridays, where they give like 100% of the profits to the artists, like one day a month. Mm. But that was really cool them to do that for the artists during the shutdown and um yeah so uh are you still selling cds is there still a market for uh, these things i would say there is it's definitely slowed for sure but there's people who still want that and so as long as i'm still selling them to people i'll keep pressing them here and there i don't press nearly as much as i used to for sure But I think that people, like, just like I do, like, I like to go and, and get something tangible from an artist that I like. So mm. people still have CD players here and there. Yeah. <laughs> Now they're probably getting vintage ones. Um, but yeah, I think it's still happening. Just like vinyl, you know, vinyl made a huge resurgence. And I mean, there's a difference there because it was actually like, it's a higher quality. So people want the vinyl because it's, superior sound so I don't know that CDs will really make a comeback <laughs> but they're still there um, I even made a cassette tape I did a split cassette in uh, 2015 and they sold out so there you go people still had cars from you know the early 90s that had a tape deck <laughs> yeah so that was the uh, make-believe album The uh, cassette tape was a split release with uh, Minor Birds. And I think it was two singles, um, Ragdoll and Barrel Trigger Gun. And then two from my friend Chelsea of Minor Birds. Yeah. Only two days ago, I talked to a friend of mine um, who uh, she made her own label. And uh, on this, they also make cassettes. So I had to ask okay. her if. So there is a market for cassettes and uh, yeah, there is one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's cheaper to make than vinyl. So for a small label, it's uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. Vinyl is expensive. Did you uh, ever consider doing something else for a living? Um, not seriously. No. Not even during this past year. Um, I feel like it was a tough year for sure but no I didn't consider switching professions I mean music is just such a huge part of I mean my day-to-day -day life like I don't know how I would function really <laughs> if I couldn't play shows or release albums I mean I, it takes so much time to put out music and if I wasn't able to dedicate that time to it I would just probably go wither away so I feel very fortunate that I'm able to make a living and do what I love yes do you have a philosophy that helps you 
back on track when you feel you lose focus or feel ambivalent about what you do? Um, I don't know about a philosophy. Um, I have faith and I actually studied theology (laughs) at university. I started a seminary degree twice and quit twice. But I, yeah, I feel like my faith in God gives me focus. And I feel that I was given a gift to play music. And so I want to be faithful to that and honor what I've been given. And so that helps me to focus and practice and to try to seek excellence in what I do. Mm. Uh, Is there uh, anything uh, you're uh, obsessing over these days? Like (laughs) music-wise? Yeah. Okay. Um, I found this French guy, and I only speak like a teeny tiny bit of French, so I probably butcher his name, Alain Souchon, and he has like really interesting production in his songs, and I, I found this one song that I cannot for the life of me ever remember the name of. Every time I want to play it, I have to like look up his name and like not the name of the song. It's really bad. But um, I'm really, really into this sound and uh, I just wish I could work with his producer. He's like 70 or something like that. And I think this song, like in English, it's kind of dirty, but in French, I can just like ignore that because I can't understand all of it. And I just love the soundscape of it. Like it just puts me in a really good place mood wise. So yeah, I've been really, really into that. Yeah. Curious about how they make that sound. Yeah. It makes me want to get better at producing. So that's good. Cause I get, I do get like pretty unmotivated as far as that goes, because I have worked with some really great people and I know how it should sound. And I know that I'm not making it sound like that on my own and that's a really frustrating feeling so right. I just have to keep taking little steps forward with it <laughs> yeah but it's really great to have something major inspiring for some time it really yes. changes the day I agree do you have something that you're into music wise I'm uh, getting a lot of enjoyment these days from working on technique actually so um, it's been a long time since I was doing this because I I didn't have the time and maybe not the motivation for some years after my studies I think I was more on maintenance mode rather than improvement mode and I was pretty happy with that Mm -hmm. and uh, for the past couple of months or so I've been more into improving and it's such a joy to be doing that I'm playing studies uh, as if I was still in the conservatory having a teacher telling me to work on this or that so my my inner teacher is coming out I guess for myself and pushing me a little bit because it can be hard to change a habit if it's been a habit for me to play a certain amount and a certain thing on a daily basis, then I have to consciously do something to change that. 
because it can be hard to prioritize other things. Yeah. So changing habits is a big fascination. How easy it is to say and how hard it can be to do and to do it for so long that it can stick or be developed. It can be done one day and then it can be hard to do it the next day again or can be forgotten. And I'm also getting into the habit of making yoga and meditation more of a part of my day. So, yeah, these things are exciting. I, I can relate um, with the piano practice. I started doing my Hannon exercises again. And the Hannon ones, just the scales. Oh, right. Um, it's a whole book of exercises. And, you know, it's like you, you can just not even realize that you haven't done it in a long time until you try it. And then you're like, Oh, I'm pretty rusty. Yeah. <laughs> Same with exercise. I've started jogging. We live next to a really beautiful Heather field and there's a lot of nice little trails. And um, I tend to get very wimpy and be very Californian about the weather. So mm-hmm. I don't want to go out when it's bad and it's bad pretty much all the time. <laughs> so I had to, just kind of get over that and um, just force myself to go out and jog, even if it's kind of drizzly. It was very hard, very hard for me. Right. It can be quite liberating to just uh, decide that this week I'm going to do this thing every day and then I won't have to have an inner discussion every day about whether or not to do it. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love trying to trying to do that trying to change habits like that but yeah it is very very challenging I stopped drinking coffee a couple of weeks ago <laughs> yes and that was one of those those moments where I'm like oh man it's pretty rough I had a pretty wicked headache for a couple of days so you decided to do it just to get off the habit for some time yeah I don't think I've ever had a season of my life where I have not drank coffee so yes. I was just thinking about that and wanted to do something different. And here we are. Got bags under my eyes. <laughs> the headache is gone. But <laughs> nice to do something and just like kind of prove to yourself that you can make it happen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you studied classical piano. So I guess maybe something got really embodied in you. This kind of, uh, I don't know if pride is the right way of putting it but um, it can be a bit frightening to feel rusty on one's main instrument coming from this tradition yeah definitely I think focusing on just playing my own songs for a long time I stopped you know doing all those techniques like you were talking about and so this past year I've been trying to recapture some of that and uh, it's definitely humbling it's a challenge. I think it's good. It's a good stretching experience. Does the word musician mean anything to you? Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Um, when I consider someone a musician, they have a certain fire and passion in them for music. And they don't just play because they can move their fingers the right way on an instrument. But they really love music and it moves something inside of them. It comes from a deep, deeper place. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, 
so there are some things that uh, we can look out for, or um, people in the somewhere in the states can look out for your tour soon this autumn. Yes. Where where will that be? Uh, West Coast of America starts on September fifteenth and goes until October thirteenth, which will be my last show in, back in San Diego. So we're going up to Seattle and then back down. Just doing a lot of stuff on the coast, which will be really nice. I'm playing several shows in like the Napa area, wine country. So <laughs> um, it'll be so great just to see people again and be playing music for humans instead of a screen. Even though I love stage it, it's not, it doesn't replace the live show experience. So I'm very, very excited. And I have a lot of new music but I'm looking forward to playing for people back at home who haven't heard any of it. And um, yeah, it'll be on my website probably within the next month. Which will be before this episode comes out, I think. So it will already already be there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's on my website. Check it out. Thank you for listening. See the show notes if you want a link to anywhere. And if you're not where Gail is, I recommend attending her shows on Stage It. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Leah Tagami Andonov, who is a violinist and have been a full-time orchestral musician for several years. Talking to her inspired me to take the challenge to prepare for an orchestral audition at the end of this month. And since I'll follow some of her advice, I'll be live streaming my run-through of the repertoire for the first round every day for two weeks, starting this Sunday. I don't have experience with live streaming, so I don't know if it will be Facebook or Instagram. But the important thing is to feel a little nervous. And I'll be imagining that all kinds of scary people are watching me. So more about being an orchestral musician in the next episode. If you want to support this podcast, you can visit my page on Coffee, ko-fi.com slash the musician's journey podcast, where you can give me an encouraging one-time donation or buy a bonus clip or sign up for a monthly membership. Now that there are some people who are supporting me monthly, I've started to write a weekly newsletter I sent to them on email where I write more about how I incorporate the information or inspiration I get from these interviews into the development of my music career. For any comments to me, my email address is in the show notes and on my website, ringnilvesenberg.com. And you can also find this podcast on Instagram.